Welcome to a super special, south of the border, um, stupendous, I need another S word, um, I don't know, sensational episode of the Don't Call It Soccer podcast, and it is all those great things because we have two amazing experts of um, the Mexican game with us, so we're going to pick their brains and learn all kinds of things about what's going on in the Liga MX with CONCACAF, with the Mexican national team, and I, I don't know, maybe we'll even ask them about the Mexican flag, because they know all these things, and we have them at our mercy. So, um, welcome to the podcast, Nayib Moran. How are you doing? Great, great, Jesse. Uh, great, great to be here uh, with you and uh, Manuel, uh, you know, and excited to talk a lot about, you know, different topics that have been going on in the past month over here in Mexico. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Manu, this is like south of the, of the south for you. Um, mm. How are things up in, in Vancouver? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Looking forward to, I'm actually getting out of here soon. I'm heading over to Europe to, to cover the Confederations Cup. So uh, enjoying the early spring in Vancouver and um, getting ready for two months of craziness in Germany and Russia. Speaking of Russia, look, you gave me a beautiful, seamless transition. It's one of my favorite things. Speaking of Russia and the World Cup, um, Naib, there has been a lot of chatter in the States and, and Manu, probably in Canada as well, about the 2026 World Cup bid. What's been the talk in Mexico or, or has there been talk about the World Cup bid for for 2016 for 2016. I'm just I'm just taking us so far into the future for 2026. No, I mean I think uh, in general it all came quick. No, there was this this decision that it was going to be a joint bid, and then the announcement came in New York. Um, and of course, you know I think over here in Mexico, at first, you know when you see that it was 10 games that you know that will be played in the two. 2026 World Cup. Well, there was a little bit of a letdown, no. And and I think, uh, in in the sense that you know Mexico has been a country that has hosted two World Cups already in 1970 and 1986. And you know what Azteca represents the stadium. You know where Pelé and Diego Armando Maradona lifted. You know World Cups. Yeah, we could definitely talk his- about how they lifted and what hand uh, Maradona used <laughs> to, <laughs> to lift. But okay, but yes, okay. Mexico. And look, Mexico stepped in when Colombia couldn't take it. So there's, you know, at the last minute, and to host a pretty spectacular World Cup. So there's, there's no shortage of of history, and also no shortage of organizational skills. I think as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, once that came out, the decision of ten games. Well. There was that reaction that was sort of against it, you know, that it wasn't like it was sort of like disrespectful to to the history over here of you know the the football history in in Mexico. Uh, but you know, when you look at economic terms and the logistics and and the infrastructure that the United States has, you know, they could have done it by themselves. You know, that it's it's sort of more of a way to make it look nice that you know there's collaboration between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. Uh, but, you know, if you look exactly of how many stadiums the United States has, you know, they could have done this World Cup by themselves, but they decided to include Mexico and Canada. Well, Manu, let me let me get your opinion here, speaking as a, you know, as a football expert, but also as a as a Canadian 
give us sort of both takes on on what this bid sounds like to you. Yeah, um, I'm with Naheep. I mean, the Americans could have probably hosted this tournament easily themselves. Um, the statistic that was thrown around, I think they have 150 stadiums, over 40,000 uh, seats. Um, 40,000, of course, is the magic FIFA number, right? I, they could have done this themselves. But I think politics kind of dictates that um, given with what, what's going on with the current U.S. administration, it's. I think it would have been a very hard sell to the I rest just, of the world. I just rolled my eyes really hard. I know you guys can Yeah, I, I don't want to name names, but mm-hmm. I think we all know what I'm referring to. And um, given that the U.S. It's doesn't have the best It's going to be very hard name, to fly everyone over that wall. That's, well, not only over the wall, but, you know, we're talking about a country that has issued travel bans. Yeah. That has, um, and, and we're not talking visas here, you know, because the World Cup is going to Russia and Qatar where you will need a visa to get to. But we're talking about straight out travel bans. And that's a totally different thing that we haven't experienced yet. And it didn't go through, um, you know, yet. No, but they're still pushing. and They're look, still pushing. We've and got that, this that, issue, but also, you know, so logistics and infrastructure, you both say that the United States has, and you're absolutely correct. But oh, I don't think they have the infrastructure. Um, I think that that is actually something that the U.S. will really struggle because the infrastructure is, especially when it comes to public transport, which is a big thing for FIFA. It's not going to be, you know, I always say to my friends jokingly, in reality, it's only two countries that could host the World Cup overnight, and that's Germany and Japan, because they have the stadiums and they have the infrastructure. They have the ability to get people from point A to B in no time, right? And they have 15, 20 stadiums that are FIFA standard. And we're talking FIFA standards here. I'm not talking about stadiums that can host the Super Bowl. I'm talking about stadiums that can host the World Cup. Two different things. And I think that the United States... This is actually something that they will struggle a little bit with because I don't think they have the infrastructure. And, you know, even the current administration admits that the infrastructure in the United States right now is in a poor state um, in terms of public transport, in terms of getting around highways, et cetera. Right. So I think this is actually something that they um, will have to gloss over. And I think that's why they're also pulling in other countries, because by all of a sudden blowing this all up, no one will notice that all these little small details are actually not in a great shape. And what about the level of uh, of interest or passion in the United States? You know, we saw this in the Copa America Centenario that the majority of fans who bought tickets were actually fans of the non-United States teams. So they benefit as well, the United States, from partnering with Mexico and Canada because you get Mexican fans, which had you not, you know, do you guys think that that the United States has the level of interest right now to actually sell tickets. You know, South American countries right now, and I, I can't, you know, don't know what's going to happen in 2026, but at the moment, economics in South America are not at a level that most people can afford to fly up for games. Before Naib maybe goes, and because I'm curious to hear his opinion, yeah, um, the U.S. 1994 World Cup is the highest attended World Cup in history. And I think it's the World Cup other than Germany that actually made money. I, I was in, you know, at the game, the national team game when Mexico came up here. I think you guys brought 40,000 fans, Naheep. Correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong, but uh, yeah. you guys travel really well. I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that from California that went up to Vancouver for that one. Look, this is a 48 team World Cup as well. You know, it's, it's, it's different to what happened in 1994 and what happened in 2006 over there in Germany. 
uh, how is that going to work out? You know, I'm pretty sure they're going to be certain games that are not going to be, you know, games that might attract the neutral football spectator. Um, but nevertheless, like like Jesse said, I mean, I think this push, I mean, I just think that there's so many cultures in the U.S., you know, so many countries represented in that country that, you know, any game will probably get a good number of fans to attend. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons, you know, maybe the 2022 World Cup should have been in the U.S., not in Qatar. But of course, we already know that there were strange things going on in FIFA when that decision took place. But um, I think, uh, you know, the, the the fans will always show up. And, and that's one of the reasons, you know, to sort of calm down the the frustration or the disappointment in Mexico was, you know, Mexico is usually a local team when they play in the U.S. So, of course, you know, Mexico might have that privilege to play most of their games, you know, with a pro-Mexico crowd. That might help, that might not help. I mean, last last year we saw it in, in California when, when Chile won 7-0 and, and it was in front of a pro-Mexico crowd in Santa Clara. So, I mean... It can go different ways. I mean, but I think that um, it, it would be interesting to see exactly how how everything works out, considering how many national teams will attend this World Cup. Yeah, and I, I want to chip in there because I think one of the questions that I've been asked many times um, about hosting this World Cup, I think that the 10 games that Canada got, and I know a lot of Canadians are going to say like, oh, oh, this is not true, blah, blah, blah. But it actually is, I think with 10 games, we probably got the right amount. Because realistically, we only have two cities that could stage a World Cup at the moment, and that's Vancouver and Toronto. And Montreal has a terrible history when it comes to staging world events. Uh, the the Expo and the Olympics still cost the city money today. And we're talking about events that were decades ago. And I can't see them putting on a World Cup. So Toronto and Vancouver could do it overnight. You know, the, the stadiums are ready to do it. And that means, you know, that both those cities will get about five games, which is good for a host city, I think. But I was wondering, you know, with um, with Mexico, who do you see, you know, hosting the games? I mean, the Estadio Azteca is a shoe in I assume, and they will have to probably do some renovation. I'm just wondering, because there isn't too many stadiums when I look at Mexico that, prob- that would be ready now to host a tournament like that. Yeah, I mean, if we were talking until 2026, you know, and, and, you know, there's plenty of time to 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 renovate certain stadiums. I mean, Azteca just barely finished one of a, a, a formidable renovation. I'm not going to say that it's amazing five-star renovation, but it was a, a, a generous renovation because of the NFL game that occurred here a couple of months ago. And there'll be another NFL game this uh, this year. Um, but with with the stadiums over here in Mexico, I mean, we got one in Monterrey. The where Rayados play, I think that one's definitely beautiful gonna be facility. There's gonna be one of the main picks, and 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 maybe where Chivas plays, Estadio Chivas in Guadalajara. That's another attractive stadium, you know, really world class. Um, and and then maybe they'll decide for a fourth one, and I don't know where that fourth one might come, you know. So there's plans over there in Monterrey, where Tigres plays Estadio Universitario, that it will have a serious renovation going on in the next year. So if that happens, it automatically becomes an option. You know, because they will probably have, you know, 50 plus seats in that stadium. So that that is also something to to keep an eye on. And, and the major cities, you know, is Mexico City, uh, Guadalajara and Monterrey. And I think, you you know, you definitely talk about sports tourism as well. You know, I've 
cousins from Mexico City and they're already booking, I don't even know what they're booking, but they're already excited about the benefits to Mexico City and to the beach towns that, that these games are going to bring. So, you know, I would hope that like what we didn't see in South Africa, um, like what we definitely did not see in Brazil, but that in the planning, when they're, when they're scheduling the, the games that they think about where, what towns could use the influx of tourism, what towns could then use a renovated stadium for their own local teams. That's a beautiful silence, you guys. You know what I'm going to use it for? <laughs> Let's use it to talk about um, this just bonkers Pachuca and Tigres match that, Naib, you were at, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I was actually there. I mean, I had a chance to to cover both both legs, the first one and the second one, um, you know, and, and it was interesting, I think, in my opinion, Tigres and Pachuca have been the most consistent clubs in Mexico in the past, I would say, two years. So to see those two go head to head, you know, big time institutions that really uh, look a lot to 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 improve, you know, to to sort of uh, become competitors or direct competitors to the so-called um, historic clubs, you know, Cruz Azul, Chivas, America, and Pumas, and 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 you know, they're 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 the new ones, so, you know. They're they're the new ones into the into the party, and and they've shown, you know, they won titles recently, league titles, and every and everything, and and to see them go head to head was interesting. So, how much of a surprise for you was the result? Well, heading into the series, actually, just I thought this was going to be a tight series. I mean, I was actually thinking about penalties uh, when it all started. But, you know, we're talking about the two best defenses so far in Liga MX in the 2017 Clausura. So I was really, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, of course, you know, with Tigres, there's this embellishment or, or whatnot to, to suggest that, you know, they're stacked. They got Gignac. Uh, they got all these great, talented players that play in national teams from South America and Yeah, Mexico. we're going we're gonna to ask you about Edu Vargas in, a, in about a minute. <laughs> And and you you sort of thought that Tigres was gonna take this, you know, mm-hmm. because Tigres has been competing in finals. You know, they were in the 2015 Copa Libertadores and 2016 uh, Concacaf Champions League final against America, and then this one. So you thought it was gonna be like the third is the charm. And I remember but them it, in the Libertadores playing with a certain like swagger. You know, they come in or they came in at least on the front foot with a definitely on the offensive from the beginning. And I didn't, you guys feel free to disagree, but I didn't see that here. And is that because they were playing another Mexican side? Is that because they're tired because they're also playing, you know, such a packed schedule? What was different? I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it's a good point you bring there, Jesse, about the swagger, you know, about proving that you're equal to the Brazilian clubs and the Argentine clubs. Uh, There's always that, that want from the Mexican club to sort of be able to see any of the historic clubs in South America and BC and say, you know, we can, we can beat you and we, we have equal footing against you here. I think it it was just a series where both coaches knew each other pretty well. I think Diego Alonso did his studying quite adequately, uh, quite efficiently to say the least. And, And I think the order, the order from Pachuca stood out, you know, it was a, it was a series of, of the team that committed less mistakes mm. was gonna was gonna win it, you know. And 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 Tigres, 
Vargas missed the penalty kick over there in, in, in Monterrey, and I think that was huge. The, the deflection in that uh, first goal that Pachuca scored by uh, Deditos Lopez, that was lucky. You know, that was a small detail, and I think that kind of changed a little bit of how everything turned out in the series. Manu, you were, like, live commenting on this match last night, and you were a little, I don't want to use the word bored. You were... Mm. What adjective would you use to describe your own reaction to this match last night? Well, if this would have been a Liga MX game, it would have probably been the most boring Liga MX game I've ever so seen. I was so surprised that you were saying <laughs> that. You were, you expe- what did you expect? What was not happening for you in this match? Well, I, I want to go a little bit back because I've seen Tigres play against Vancouver as well. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your opinion about that too, Naheep. I, I have a feeling they're a little bit deflated. Against Vancouver, yes, they beat Vancouver, you know, 4-1 on aggregate. Even though they dominated that first leg in Monterey, they didn't look... It, it, it seemed strained, you know, they had to work. You know, it didn't seem fluid, it seemed hard. And I remember seeing Tigres in that um, Apertura final against Club America, and that was a very different side. And I feel, every time I've seen Tigres in the Clausura, it seems always hard, like hard work, like labor. Uh, the two exceptions being the recent Chivas and the recent Pumas game. But I have a feeling there is something missing. And uh, it's very hard to put a finger on it. But when I saw them in Vancouver as well, the first 60 minutes or so, they were really struggling in Vancouver. And there was even a danger at one point that they could give that game away, right? And I'm just curious to hear um, what you think about this but I think that they've been so focused on winning this international trophy and they've been focused on this for a long time now right yeah. that it's almost become this obsession and when I, I remember talking to Ferretti after the game in Vancouver and he was there's almost this relief that they were at the final again and not even caring that how what's going on in the league because they're missing the Ligo Ela right now right and they're not they're not in the playoffs and they're not in and, the playoffs yeah and I have this, this, the sense that it's almost become a burden. You could sense that in the game yesterday too. It's, it's almost like this, it's weighing them down. And Pachuca, I think Tigres were the better game. I think they had the possession of the game, et cetera. But Pachuca seemed the more dangerous side to me because they had nothing to lose. Um, this was their fifth international trophy, right? So yeah. they, that they didn't really have to, of course you want to win, but they didn't have that weight on their shoulders, if that makes sense. I'm curious to hear your opinion on that. It was interpretation of the whole game as well, I think, uh, Manuel, because entering the series, uh, Diego Alonso, the Pachuca head coach, was, was straightforward in saying, you know, the team that has all the pressure is Tigres because of the investment. You know, they have the richest squad in the whole league. So, of course, all the pressure is on them. But... It was actually a tactic because Pachuca, they're, they're, they're still in the playoff picture right now. They're still in the league at their eighth place, but they've had a rather inconsistent season. They, they have the worst offense, one of the worst offenses right, right here in Liga Max right now. So it's not like they've been playing pretty good as well. Um, but, you know, Pachuca is a solid team that goes from the owner to the directors to the people that work out the pitch. You know, it's a really team that is that, that has a, a unity that is that is so so contagious i'm not going to say that Tigres doesn't have that unity but mm. that essence that that identity that you know there's a lot of youngsters in pachuca that feel the colors of the of the shirt you know the, they, they 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 know what to what represents to play for a club like pachuca and in Tigres 
you got all these nice foreigners that you know are are great great football players i mean no one can deny that but that they lack sometimes that that identity you don't have those players in the team or mm -hmm. if they are in the team they they have a bad game the consistencies of the unity in each of the teams is different uh, but yeah i mean i think tigres has had a slow start to the season a really slow start to the whole year uh you know winning that uh championship in the, on christmas against america was huge you know they they wanted in penalties fair and square Uh, but uh, the expectations are really high on them already. I mean, mm -hmm. I think they're receiving this this analysis on them that is really that adds pressure, you know, because with that type of team, you got to give results and 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 you got to get the wins. It's not about reaching the finals; it's about winning them. And you know, for the for many years, Tuca Ferretti has been oh well, getting to the Copa Libertadores final was not easy. Getting to the but but that that's not that's not what you demand from a team. That has all of these players in, in it, you know? Yeah, and then this is actually a question that I have for you as well. Because Tigers are the team of the working class. I know they're not technically in Monterey. They're in the outskirts of Monterey, right? But there's always been this social divide between them and Monterey. I wonder, you know, are they a newly rich team? Is that almost, um, how am I going to say this in a nice way? Is that almost the Manchester City effect that they have to learn? They have to get develop a history of winning. <laughs> I love um, that you said I, that you just decided that saying Manchester City is an insult. That's really great. Well, it's not an insult, <laughs> but it's it's you know you know how certain clubs have this culture of success because and, of uh, because of the money that they have, not because yes, yeah, but, absolutely. But you've developed that for a long, long time, right? And Tigers seem yeah. almost like a newly rich side to me. It's maybe unfair to Manchester City, but that's the first team that kind of came popped up in my head when I thought about that, right? Or PSG, or PSG, or, yeah. or PSG, yeah, um, or in Germany, Bayer Leverkusen. You know, teams that were more or less, you know, had a certain history, a certain background, working class background, and all of a sudden, you know, the owner or the the back background kind of pushed money into it. And um, I have a sense that is a little bit what's going on with Tigris, because. Culturally speaking, they're the working class team of the area they're from, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, when you go to Monterrey, it's, it's pretty obvious that there's two teams, you know, it's Monterrey, the Rayados or Tigres, and you got to pick one of those. You know, when you're growing up, you got to decide who to go to, who to go for. Um, and I think in the last, I would say since the 2000s onward, you see both teams spending more money. You know, and it's it, it's going it's going on the same level for both sides. You know, maybe. Rayados has a clear focus on South American players and Tigres has gone all the way to always pick out from Europe, you know, bringing Vargas from Europe, bringing Gignac from France, but, or, or Delors, you know, who came here and lasted less than a year. Uh, but uh, it, 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 I, do, I do understand that point that, you know, they're having a tough time dealing with the pressure. I mean, they, they, they don't have that historical background that, for example, Club America has, you know, and Club America is the most wingest club here in, in Mexico. And and there was a point when they would bring all the best players and you know, they were known for that. But now it's Tigres doing that. What what Club America used to do is now being done by Tigres, a, a, a site that is really new into this um, type of making deals, you know. Uh, and I think it is taking them time to understand that. You know, one thing, but but the good the good side of all this is that they're reaching the finals. But you know, of course, for the fans, not winning them it doesn't leave them a good memory. 
I don't want to rub it into anyone's uh, Chilean noses, but let me ask you both about about Vargas because we did have some questions last night about not only his performance in these last two in the in the you know the two legs of the final, but but also his performance at Tigres versus his performance in the Chilean national team. So, what have you guys been been seeing from him? I just I, I after all the games that I've seen from Vargas, I just get the sense is that this guy is a national team player. You know, he just loves playing for the national team. And that's kind of his essence or what makes him stand out. Ever since he left Chile, you know, he, he has been going club after club, you know, and th- there's a reason why he doesn't manage to find consistency at a certain club. And it's that lack of, you know, flair that, you know, he's not like Alexis Sanchez who's every week, you know, you see something special from Alexis Sanchez. That's why, you know, he's probably the best player in Arsenal. But, you know, it, with Vargas, you just don't see it. He he hides in the big moments. I mean, he's, he definitely hides in this final. Of course, I think in the first leg, it was pretty... Um, it hurt him to miss a penalty. You know, what would have happened had he made it? I mean, it's just so small details. If he had made that penalty, maybe we would be talking about a positive side of Vargas. Uh, but it, it's no... It, 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 in my opinion, I think he's had a, a hard time, you know, adapting to the league, adapting to the team. You know, I think he only has three goals so far. So those are not numbers for a player that is getting a lot of minutes. Manu, what are you saying? Um, you know, I've been following Vargas since he came over to Hoffenheim in Germany. Um, at that point, this was his fourth club since he joined Napoli in Europe, um, his fifth team in Europe. And the story has always been the same. He's a very talented player who performs very well for the national team. Um, you know, he was the standout player, I believe, in both Cobra America wins for Chile. But for some odd reason, he just can't translate it to the club level. And I thought, you know, when from what I heard coming out of Hoffenheim, is that he trains very well, that he shows all the talent that he has on the training pitch, and then coaches put him on the field and he just disappears. He's gone. And, you know, he's he scored just two goals in the Bundesliga. And he was brought in as the guy who was supposed to play with Kevin Folland at the time and, you know, really gel. Um, but for some reason, his playing style didn't work in the Bundesliga. He didn't he wasn't able to translate what he did in the training pitch onto competitive level. Now, when he moved to Tigers, I thought this could be a very good fit because he is that kind of bullet type player, a little bit like Nico Castillo, you know, who has been a huge success at Pumas. A quick player, fast player who can play in this league because this league isn't about, it is physical, but it's a physical in a different way because in Germany you have these towers, you have defenders, right? There's everyone is very big and everyone is very fast. I, I thought when he, when he joined Tigers that that would be a good fit. And I've been heavily disappointed um, with what's been going on with him and Tigres. Um, again, I'm, I'm just moving so seamlessly here because you mentioned Pumas. Let's talk about Pumas, guys. Um, and, and their loss, they're sort of surprising for me, at least. Their loss to Veracruz. Um, who saw this one? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all chime in here. Who was surprised? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how say... surprised you could be after the red card, Tiberon. Yeah. I think that, right, that definitely helped. But, but this, so this was, this was a relegation battle win. Yeah. 
But this puts a lot of pressure on Pumas, guys. Well, I think it was it was a hard loss for Pumas because, uh, you know, with Paco Palencia's head coach, I think Pumas had become a strong home team. But uh, they've been severely hit actually by Tigres. Tigres and, and, you know, Paco Valencia hasn't been able to beat Tigres since he took over as coach in Pumas. And, you know, the beating he took in recently over there in Monterrey and then in the Conca Champions as well. Um, you know, it, it really hurt the team. And, of course, there was, there's been injuries. Pablo Barreras out with a knee injury, and he's, he'd been a starter the whole season. Uh, Nico Castillo it has been on and off. You know, started started great, amazing. But then he went to the national team, and it sort of kind of uh, turned gray, you know, the panorama of things, you know, because he felt injured, and, you know, he got red-carded in the, in the last game. But, you know, losing to Veracruz is just, you can't do that, you know, because... <laughs> Veracruz had a one and away win since 2015, you know? So we're talking about that's the most possible easy home win you can have. But, of course, with the relegation deal that Veracruz is in, they got a lot of heart right now. They, they have a lot of spirit in the team. And they, they have this desire to remain in first division. Because all of these players know that if they go to second division, their contracts are totally in shambles, you know? And if they're able to give a good impression in first division... Well, you know, and then they stay in preservation. That's a win-win for everyone, you know. But it, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult scenario now for for Pumas. Uh, I don't see them in the Liga because they just totally fell apart towards the, uh, heading heading to the end of the season. Naib, does this sort of show that there are no as as brilliantly terrible American commentators say the world over? But does this really show that there are no easy matches? Because really, I was thinking that this would be an easy one for Pumas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can say that, Jesse. I mean, but and also in Mexico, they, we can we can talk about a parity. You know, we can we can say that no game is an easy one for any team. You know, we've seen Tigres with. You know, we've been talking about in this whole show about how stacked the team is, and they've had difficulties with some teams that you're like, why are you having difficulties? I mean, is 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 you assume that there's gonna be a big difference between one squad and the other, and at the end. When there's 11 players on the, the 22 players on the pitch, there's a parity that you see. And as the season uh, comes to a close in the regular season and then we start the Liguilla, it's like starting a new season once the playoffs start. Because it doesn't matter if you go in as eight and you finish at the top. You know, the eighth can eliminate the first place. So I think it's, it's, it's an example that there is a, a sort of parity in the league that Gives it uh, a good display, you know. It, it, it's an exciting, an exciting league, an unpredictable league, you know. And at the moment, it's Tijuana who's top of the Liga right now. So, did you see this when we when we started? Uh, well, I think I think Cholos has been an interesting side with Miguel Piojo Herrera. Um, you know, I think ever since he left as Mexico's national team coach, you know, it was not the best way to leave yeah. the, the Mexico national team post. <laughs> That's an I don't think anyone leaves Mexico's national team in the, in the best of ways. But this one was strange, Jesse, because it, you know, had he not punched the journalist, <laughs> well, man, we'd, we'd be, we'd be talking about, we, we might be talking about a Mexico national team that could be still coached by Herrera, That's true. you know, because there was a, a good camaraderie. There was a good group. There was union, in the team, you know, the players really liked him, and and he's proving in Cholos that he's a great. He's, I think, he's a great coach. You know, he might have his moments where it's uncontrollable and unexplainable, it and you're like, why are you doing that? Them. Why, yeah, why are you doing that, Herrera? Why can't you act like a normal coach? <laughs> but 
it, it worked. It, he's a great coach, a great mind, I think, in, in Mexican football. Young coach that has gone through different phases in his career already. And 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 hopefully, you know, if they finish on top, you know, they can go far in this in this uh, in this league. Yeah, but they got interesting players. I mean, they got probably the best player in the league right now, which is Aviles Hurtado, who I believe, you know, should already be called up by Colombia's national team, but he's not at the moment. And then they also got this great defensive midfielder uh, Guido Rodriguez, who, who came from River Plate. Um, excellent, excellent player, and I think those are those have been the keys. And and when you look at U.S. national team uh, players, there Joe Corona has had an amazing season, and 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 Paula Riola as well. Okay, but I'm really mad that you didn't say that. Manu, who am I going to mention as my favorite player of all time in the Liga? You know, it's, no you idea, know what's coming. You know what's coming. <laughs> I'm about to I'm about to talk about Monterrey. So who am I about to talk about? Sanchez. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, obviously the best player of all time, Carlos Sanchez. Has, has Chelsea mentioned to you yet that she's Uruguayan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can tell now. I can tell now. <laughs> I held back. I was really uh, circumspect about it. Until now. Because now we're going to talk about Monterrey. And I can't talk about Monterrey without talking about Carlos Sanchez, who I love. And I want. I, I just need to know why he's not getting playing time. I understand that he hasn't been starting, but he's been coming off the bench and doing brilliantly. But now he's not even getting that much playing time. What is happening? No, I think I think Jesse Carlos in Monterrey and I'm pretty sure Turco Mohamed is a, a sane coach and understands that Carlos Sanchez is a difference maker, you know, in that in those little minutes he had in the past Clásico Regio Montano, he almost scored a, a phenomenal goal. I, know. I mean he's so I mean, good. It was a, a, a moment where, you know, it could have been a great moment for his career. And look, when, when Monterrey reached the final in 2016 clausura against Pachuca, it was unfortunate to see Carlos Sanchez leave to the national team. I mean, he didn't play in the final because uh, Profe Tavares wanted him to be with the team, even in friendlies. But I feel that if Carlos Sanchez would have played in that final against Pachuca, I think Monterrey would have won it because Carlos Sanchez was playing at such a top level that, you know, he was just unstoppable. I mean, I think here this season, maybe you could get more goals out of him, but of course it's not his main job. You know, his main job is to distribute the ball, give assists. But, you know, I, I feel that once the Liguilla starts, he'll probably be in the starting 11. I mean, the fantastic four in Monterrey is Carlos Sanchez, Edwin Cardona, Dordan Pavón, and Rogelio Funes Mori. So mm -hmm. I, I feel that those four have to be in the 11. I mean, it, it just... It seems right, no? Okay, you get 900 points. To, Manu, Naive is my favorite. To, he wins. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention Funes Mori because he's been very good. Uh, I, I really like watching yeah, him. Can and we I say thought he, that maybe he's better than his brother and maybe he should get a call up to the national team? Can we Can we maybe say that? I don't know. <laughs> that one's a tough one. I mean, right now, Ramiro... You know he has a he's in he's in Europe. I think that gives him you know a little but bit of. A, is it unfair to say that just because he's in Europe he's getting the call up? Well, it's hard, Jesse, to see you know Argentine players in Liga MX that get called. I mean, of course, we got Nahuel Guzman and Guido Pizarro both at Tigres. Well, um, we saw Pizarro but, yesterday, not not you know <laughs> not doing so good, <laughs> being his own best uh, advocate, but. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, if he keeps getting the goals, you know, but then again... But again, Argentina many, can really afford to shake things up, and they've got these incredible players who are sort of under the radar of a lot of European down, teams, and I think that would yeah. really surprise a lot of opposing coaches, which is what you want. 
that will go down to who the new coach in Argentina will be. I mean, there's well, rumors some, that it is already Sampaoli right now. It is, yeah. yeah and then look, I don't know if Sampaoli is going to take in his, you know, right now in his coaching staff, he has Juan Malillo. And Juan Malillo is good friends with Sampaoli. And, and, and of course, we know Juanma because of his, you know, he's one of Pep Guardiola's mentors. Um, and Juan Malillo loves Liga Mex. You know, if Juan Malillo goes with... And he should. Paul, <laughs> yeah, if, if, if Juan Malillo goes with Sampoli to Argentina, then there's a chance that Lillo might be, hey, well, there's this Rogelio Funes Mori that, that is good, doing good. So you, we could probably see him there. Before we move on to the next topic, this is actually something that I think we need to discuss because I feel um, as Liga MX is growing in popularity, and it's not just Argentina, it's a whole bunch of South American teams that have, you know, potential players in this league. I think we might see a little bit of a shift um, towards, you know, Colombia, Argentina, etc., picking players from this league because it is probably on this continent right now, and I'm including South America in this, the most competitive league. I would say it probably is one of, if it was a European league, it'd probably be in the top six or seven as well there. So, you know, I I think it's only going to be a question of time. And I'm, I pulled up um, Funes Mori's stats at Monterey. He scored 48 goals in 63 games. And Argentina, I don't care how many good forwards they have up there. They have been in shambles. And if they want to shake things up, he would be the kind of guy that they should bring in. He's also who they need. If you If you look at the team that Argentina have been playing, they don't have somebody with the speed and they don't have anybody who, you know, Dybala, yes, but they don't have anybody else who is really going to connect their, their Messi um, <laughs> with their back line like Funes Mori can. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 we will have to see. We will have to see there what happens um, with Funes Mori and, of course, keep an eye on what Manuel said about, you know, that we'll see more uh, South American national teams calling out players from, from, from Liga MX teams. I mean, there's... There's just, there's a lot. I mean, there's already a significant number that go to South America every, you know, every uh, FIFA break. Uh, for example, last night, you know, over there, Oscar Murillo was phenomenal. You know, Oscar Murillo, Colombian center back, I think he's he's probably right there on top. Right there, I think Murillo and, and, and Omar Gonzalez make the best center back duo in Liga MX. And it's just, it was a good example, a good showing. I mean, you're playing against Gignac, against Vargas against Sosa, against Aquino, Dam, all of these great, great attackers. And they were phenomenal in the whole 188 minutes. And I think we've seen Omar Gonzalez only get better for the you know, United States national team since he's gone to Liga MX from the MLS. You know, he's been absolutely more conditioned. And I think that's because of the schedule in Liga MX versus MLS. But I think he's grown in confidence. His skill set is a thousand times better and that only helps the US national team. So it's been it's it's benefited the states as well. And um, playing at altitude right. on a regular basis. You right. know, he's getting free altitude training. <laughs> the, yeah, no blood doping. I mean, it's great. He, you have to remember Pachuca is at two thousand four hundred meters. I don't care what that is in feet. And the I, Americans I gonna, can figure I, that out. <laughs> it's a lot. We call it a lot. We call it Colorado. Can let's actually, Manu, let's talk about your one of your favorites in Santos Laguna, who are, I think, one of my most like fascinating teams because nobody notices them and they just keep winning. And yet they're not talked about in the same way that, you know, some of these clubs that Nayib was mentioning 
are being talked about. They, they sort of fly, fly low under the radar. Um, and they had this really exciting match against Club America that, that was totally end to end until literally the, the final kick, which was a, a late goal and a match winner. So who saw, who saw this one and who can give us a, a summary and all of your feelings? I have a bit of a love affair with Santos Laguna, stretching (laughs) all the way back when they, um, Naive, you probably remember this, when they took out the Montreal Impact in the CONCACAF Champions League, I think in 2009. Uh Uh, I remember Montreal was winning that game, and I think it ended up 5-3 for Santos Laguna, and they went through. Uh, It was it was insane, and that was probably the first time I've ever come in contact uh, with the insanity that is Liga MX because I couldn't believe what I was seeing at the time, and then started doing research into this team, you know, that has Corona like a Corona like logo, (laughs) you know, and it's uh, it's a very young team as well, you know, founded relatively late, only thirty three years old, and um, they are a bit of you know from. What I can tell, they are a side that can, that really takes care of developing players. And, um, you know, if you're not familiar with Liga MX, you always see a couple of players that have three digit shirt numbers uh, on the squad, which indicates that they're players that can still play for the youth squad side or have been developed directly from the youth side, right? Naheep. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I saw them against Club America and I thought they were really good. I, I thought that was, that was, first of all, it was a very good game with some very good goals, but I thought that they were really good and, you know, when you look at this, where they are in the standing right now, they are right behind that pack um, on top, right, of the league and looking very strong going into the Liguela. And I just, you know, I'm still learning Spanish. I know my pronunciation isn't, <laughs> isn't great, but I've recently learned that that means mini league, uh, which, you know, is great because it actually defines, it's a way better definition than playoffs because you, as you said earlier, it's a, it's an actual separate competition. Um, but I think that they are one of those teams that you have to really look out for, right? Yeah, I mean, I think how you say, um, you know, in this in this program, we've sort of talked about Pachuca already because there's a, you know, they won the Conca Champions yesterday. Uh, but Santos is right there behind Pachuca as exemplary clubs, you know, as as teams that are doing different things that are not normal, you know, in the whole league, in the sense that they do give a lot of money to the youth academies they really focus a lot on that and right now santos has two great prospects right there in jorge sanchez right back ulises rivas defensive midfielder and they also have walter sandoval who who's not really was raised in santos but he came at a young age i mean from guadalajara to the team i mean he started off his his academy in guadalajara and then he moved to santos but he's another great talent um, you know, the thing that stands out about Santos is that they only lost one game in the whole season, but they had a lot of draws, you know, and I think uh, the reason for that is because since the team is so young, uh, for them, it is a little bit difficult, you know, maintaining those small margin leads that could be 1-0 or, you know, even 2 zeros. you know, they have a difficult time managing that, but if they are able to sort of control that and, and score those late winners like they did against Club America, who was coming into this match, you know, solid defensively uh, in a great run um, that, that you know, that had, didn't see him uh, lose a game. So, you know, I think that could be a huge boost for the team. You know, in the power rankings that I do for FC, I have Santos as the third place 
you know, and the reason that I have them in third place is because they've only lost once. Um, so I think this is a team that has a lot of future that is really being built, uh, quite well with Jose Manuel Chapo de la Torre. And, and it could, it could make, it could be a dark horse in the Liga, you know, because I know that it, we still see this team as, as new because it's, it has, it has, you know, new players, young players developing. So we can sort of still consider it as a dark horse. Uh, because it doesn't have the, the names like Tigres, Monterrey, Pachuca, Cholos. Uh, so we will, we'll have to see. Yeah. One player that I noticed quite a bit was, uh, Janini, who is, um, from the Cup Verdes, actually very, very tall, powerful looking forward. And for some reason, he just stood out, um, to me. Naive. This is, this is, this is his best season. I think he's yeah. been here. He's been here for a while already in, in Santos. Uh, Manuel, and, and I think this season is one where, you know, he feels confident. He feels that he has the support from his teammates. You know, he, he, he's putting in the goals, but, you know, he was uh, a player that was brought by Pedro Caixinha, who's now, you know, the coach over there at Rangers in, in Scotland. And, and that's, he was a specific, uh, you know, player that he wanted in the team. And, and he's been in Santos since then. You know, but this is definitely, you know, I think his best season in the league. And of course, if Santos go far in the Liga, goes far in the Liga, then I think it, a main reason for that would be how Janini um, performs. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And definitely, if you uh, haven't seen very much of him, that's that's one that you have to look out. And I mean, Santos are an odd club because we, when you, especially, I mean, also on our part, when we talk about. Uh, Liga MX, we talk a lot about Pumas, we talk a lot about Club America, we talk about Monterrey, but we hardly ever mention Santos Laguna. Um, so it's it's definitely a site that I think we have to keep a closer eye on. And we will because you love them, so you're going to keep us on, <laughs> on top of it. Um, let's move to, to the last one that we're going to go over, which was also, there were there were sort of no boring matches, even though I know, Manu, you, you will um, argue against this one, but this Chivas Cruz Azul match was perhaps Chivas would have wanted it to be a little more boring than it was because this was not a great match from the very beginning for Chivas. Um, Naib, can you, can you tell us a little bit about, about this one and, and where you see the Leguisha going for Chivas? I think, uh, I think, um, with Chivas, they started well this season. I mean, I think uh, they've been a, a really consistent team with Matias Almeida. I think Matias Almeida, uh, since his arrival to the club, has sort of changed the the field of things in, in the team. You know, before his arrival, it was sort of like, oh, relegation, uh, Segunda División and all that. And now it's actually a team that is winning. You know, they've won two cups already with, with Matias Almeida, but it's not the same than a league. You know, winning a league is the obsession of the club. They haven't won since 2006. You know, and this loss against Cruz Azul, uh, you know, it was unfortunate because it wasn't a red card for Miguel Ponce. You know, I think it should have been a yellow. Um, I think this is this always gets sticky. Um, Manu, chime in here, but this was a sort of was he or wasn't he the last man tackle, and was it or wasn't it a goal scoring opportunity? And I don't know the, that the answer was yes on either of those questions. For me, it was not a goal scoring opportunity, and was he the last man? <sighs> Yes, except that the, it would have been a red on the goalie, and I never know what the answer is to that question. Because oh, uh, I've seen I, it both I, ways. Yeah, no, and we do always do, don't we? Um, I think that's a, a question in general. It's funny because I did a pot this morning, and one of the big pots 
topic was video refereeing <laughs> and um <laughs> and this is going to be one maybe for video refereeing but that last man tackle uh, is it a goal scoring chance or isn't it one that's kind of up for debate and, and, and are know. you the last man if you are the defender and you have your goalie behind you well technically yes you are because, yes you are uh, although in this last batch of fifa rules there's a little bit of wiggle room there and we've seen it called both what like Naive said we've seen it a yellow and we've seen it a red and I think there's just no there's like there needs to be a consensus Infantino needs to come down from the heavens and say red or yellow <laughs> and by heavens <laughs> I mean it was, in, it was interesting because in the second leg in the second leg of the Pachuca Tigres there was a similar play and, and it was a yellow you know it was the same exact play actually I mean I, I clearly remembered and it was the same referee. <laughs> That's what I mean. Part. This is, you know, referees yeah. don't have an answer to this one. This is really yeah, tricky. In the game against uh, in the Cruz Azul Chivas, he gave the red card. In the Pachuca Tigres, he gave a yellow card. And it was the same exact play. So, I mean, that's where it, it goes down, I guess, to video, video, uh, you know, help or something. But we'll, we'll, that's another whole different topic. I think part of uh, this is also what they're hearing in their ear from their fourth official. And and, and uh, honestly, I absolutely. think how vehemently the opposing players are uh, screaming and waving their arms, because I do think that that has some sort of subliminal impact. Well, that never happens in Mexico, right, Naib? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I mean, you see, you see all these... Uh, there's been a lot of tricky, tricky scenarios and, and decisions that you're like, why the heck is this happening? Or, you know, that clearly affect one of the sides and the, on the pitch and that sort of cuts a little bit on the spectacle. Uh, but just a little bit more on Chivas. I mean, they're definitely a team that's going to compete. They're going to be in the mix for, for title contention. However, I think there's a problem there with the team and the, in the sense that, you know, they, they don't have, one of their best players, I think Rodolfo Pizarro, will still be out for several weeks, and he was great at the start of the season. Uh, and Angel Saldivar, who was an, uh, a forward that was also sort of, is also hurt, and his return is still sort of not well known when he will come back. But they're they're hitting this scoring drought, you know, and you can't be hitting a scoring drought with two weeks uh, heading, you know, two weeks before the Liguilla starts. And 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 look this. This season, it's going to be, I think, all the four playoff games that we'll see in the quarterfinals are going to be really, really tight. I mean, there's going to be very few differences between one side and the other. Yeah, speaking of the playoffs, um, there's been something really fascinating going on this year. Um, and I, I'm, you, Jesse, you probably know where I'm going with this, but Veracruz and Morelia, they can get relegated, right? Yeah, but they could also both still make the playoffs. And there is a question for you, Naive. Has a team ever made the playoffs and got relegated in the same year? Yeah, I think that has happened before. That has happened before, uh, Emmanuel. And this is actually a good question because, you know, the regulations in the league sometimes change and, and, and whatnot. But I'm pretty sure if the, a, a team that is relegated but makes the playoffs automatically out, they don't participate in the playoffs because uh-huh. they're, they're, they're already, you know, they're relegated. Uh, but let me confirm that maybe in another another time or on a tweet or something. Uh, but I, I I do I do think that there's been a case where a team that is relegated makes the Liga, but then they don't play because it's 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 not it's not they can't do it. I mean it's part of the regulation. I mean this has been such a fast. I, the part of the reason why I find this uh, particular season so fascinating is because 
it's very easy to keep a track of the relegation race because the teams that are playing against relegation have the same amount of games, right? So you'd basically just have to look at the point in total over the last three seasons. But it's also that the uh, the teams involved, so Morelia, Veracruz, Chapa's not so much, but Morelia and Veracruz, they're only two points away from the playoffs. So basically, it's uh, make the playoffs or go down, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the situation right now with those two teams, Morelia, Veracruz, and Chiapas, I think those are the three teams that, yeah. that one of those is going to go down. Uh, and, and right now, perhaps Veracruz has the toughest schedule because, you know, this tomorrow they'll play against, Friday they'll play against uh, Monterrey and Veracruz. Monterrey, you know, it's a powerful squad. So for them to get a win over Monterrey will be quite, quite special. You know, it, it, it tells you a little bit about the situations that those clubs are living. But, you know, if, if you actually look at the um, at the table and sort of put it in the sense that it's a, a, a regular long season like anywhere else in the world, you know, the last places are, you know, Morelia, uh, Chiapas and Veracruz. You know, they've been the worst sites in, in the past seasons. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know, it looks like Morelia might be the one, but you just never know. I mean, it can the series of results can all of a sudden put put Chiapas at the at the bottom. So um, we'll have to see exactly how that turns out. Yeah, I mean, we spoke uh, in Mexico City. I, I had the sense that you maybe felt Chiapas was the one that deserves it the most because they have so many financial problems, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's been probably the big one with, you know, not paying their players. And, and you know, even even today, you still see certain certain things that are going on in that club that just don't make sense. It's just not what a first division club should be doing. Uh, and, and if, you know, Chiapas should be relegated, not because of this point system, they should just totally be relegated because they've been acting quite bad in the last I would say a year. So, you know, just all of the stuff that the players have gone through, uh, it doesn't make sense, you know, not playing playing without getting paid and everything. It's like a football you know? timeout. <laughs> exactly. If you're, not, if you're not behaving, then you have to go sit in the safe place and take a timeout. Which is what they do in uh, totally off topic, but in Germany, if you, if you can't, uh, you're not allowed to run um, a deficit you can actually use a license for professional football, which means automatic relegation to the fourth division. Um, I think they have the toughest licensing system around the world. But oh, I was going to say it's what we do in preschool. So yours is much more on topic than mine. Um, <laughs> before I keep talking about preschool, where um, you guys, where can we find you on the internet so we can we can ask you lots of questions and and tell you how great you are? Nayib, where where can we find you? Well, on, on Twitter, it's it's just basically at Nayib Moran, uh, like that, like my name. Um, and then, you know, there, you know, we, we post most of our, our of our articles that we write for ESPN FC. Um, you know, every now and then we do Periscopes, Facebook Lives, um, you know, and, and all the info that I do or everything that I write about the game, it's it's usually there on the on the Twitter account. Excellent. Manu, where are you at? Yeah, you can. I actually recently changed my Twitter handle. So, what? yeah, I, I go, I went a bit more professional. And also, since I'm not just doing Russian football anymore, I, I figured I would have to change it. So it's just at Manuel Veth. Very easy. Uh, just my name. <laughs> One word written together. 
and uh, he tweeted me, asked me questions. Um, I'm I'm on a whole bunch of podcasts at the World Football Index. I'm doing this podcast, the Gegenpressing Pressing Football Grad. And then I run three homepages as well, uh, known as the Football Grad Network. Yeah, and, here's my favorite uh, thing I figured out. You can, everyone probably already knows this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You can subscribe on iTunes and then you don't have to download anything. It does it for no, you. No, that's right. And then when you're stuck on the subway, you can listen to all these fantastic podcasts and just hear your voice tell me everything about football around the world. It's really great. No, and not then, just and my then you voice. don't get cranky <laughs> when your train doesn't come because you just learn all these things about football around the world. It's like the well, best thing ever. Well, it's not just me, right? It's we you have, and we a have lot really of like good, really brilliant, lot of people. good people. And thankfully, people like Naib that take their time and come on and do speak to us about some really interesting topics. Yeah, we have so, some pretty great things happening. Like, yeah. I wasn't even mad that I that my train decided to go local the other day and <laughs> take an extra 20 minutes because I just listened to another podcast and like learned sort of fabulous, wonderful, great things. Subscribe. Who knew? <laughs> Look at that. And it's free. And it's free. It's great. And then you don't have to press buttons. It sort of just does that for you. I enjoyed that. That was great. So what, give me, give me one sentence, Naive, about what we can look forward to in the coming week in Liga MX. Well, I think it will be important to see what happens with Tigres. You know, after this hard loss against Pachuca, it will be, you know, interesting to see if they actually manage to make the Liguilla. And this weekend, they have a huge game against Cholos, the first place team over there in Monterrey. It will be interesting to see how the fans come together at El Volcan. You know, they're really loyal fans over there in, uh, in, for Tigres. So I expect the packed stadium, even though after this hard loss. And if they lose that game against Cholos, it's over. I mean, if they lose against Cholos, they're not going to the Liguilla. And that will be one of the worst weeks, I probably think, in the history of that club because they lost the Clásico Regamico Montana against Monterrey. They went to Pachuca, they lost the Conca Champions, and then they could be eliminated from from uh, possible playoff contention. Tune in on that note um, next week, and we will be we will be covering that and uh, all the other happenings from North and Central America on Don't Call It Soccer. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs>